It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Local crag has been rather frequented lately, wouldn't you say? Are you referring to Rifle Mountain Park? Yes, you're more local than me, but I, I think I think we get to like draw a circle around Rifle. Sure, that doesn't actually include the town of Rifle, and definitely excludes Boulder. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's been really crowded out there, dude. So crowded, remarkably. Crowded. Remarkably crowded, yes. Right. In a, in a year that, like, you know, I think these regulations are gone and, and aren't even, you know, they're not even in the recommendations. But, you know, in a year where we're supposed to kind of be staying close to home and, and uh, you know, keeping away from other people, like, it's kind of this weird paradox that rifle and other climbing areas, from what I understand, are, like, getting hammered right now. Mm. Like, basically... If you're a climber, an outdoor climber, you probably were in 10 sleep at some point in the last like two months. Like 10 right. sleep sounds like it was absolutely fucking bonkers. Yeah. It got gang banged. Yeah. Can I say that? I think you can. Okay. It got gang banged. <laughs> Don't Google that. <laughs> I mean, do, but be prepared. <laughs> I mean, because no one can go to Europe. That's is, that, is that part of it? Do you think that's it? I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it's summertime. Like, you don't go to freaking Spain right now, anyway. No, well, people travel and then, you yeah. know, they see like people traveling and they're traveling. I don't know. I mean, honestly, we can't go anywhere, right? We can go to like Estonia or <laughs> there's like a couple countries that are like, sure, whatever, fuck it. Just Americans can come here. But all the, the ones with half a brain are like, no, you guys are like disease central. Yeah. Like, stay away from our countries. Yeah. Yeah, we are um, the laughing stock of the world. Yeah, for sure. But the climbing scene, it's hard to know. It's like hard to parse out the the COVID traffic versus, you know, just this is how many people climb now. Yeah, but the thing is, is that like I saw a report on uh, online that like some places are reporting like a 300% increase. Really? This fall. Yeah. How is that even tracked? Just... I mean, user days are tracked by by land managers. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they track them in in Indian Creek and stuff. Huh. And they just, I mean, it's real unscientific, but it makes sense. I mean, they just count cars by the based on like what they had last year. There's like a two hundred percent polling error. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, that's pretty accurate, right? Because odds are in Indian Creek, there's one person per car, or maybe two if you're lucky. Right. So. You know, you can kind of get pretty, I mean, you know, it's it's stuff like that. And then, you know, in a lot of places, it's pretty simple. It's entrance fees. You mm-hmm. know, like you got to walk, you got to sign in unless you get there early, like in Eldo or in, you know, in Smith Rock or whatever. It's user permits. Mm-hmm. So climbers maybe get mixed in with regular users, but still, you know, looking at it. But also anecdotally, we can just go with what we know. It's like the rifle's fucking hammered. Yeah, there's a 300% increase in assholes in rifle. Well, I mean, 300% increase means all categories. Right. So there's 300% increase in dogs. 
300% increase in, in spray Lord assholes in, you know, whatever it happens to be 300% increase in old guys, like bumbling around talking about, about trad climbing, like I do or whatever, you know, it's like, I don't know if there's a 300% increase in the bumbling old trad dads. Um, that might be a dying brain. There has to be. <laughs> that might be a negative 300%. Because <laughs> they're just passing away slowly. <laughs> I'm next. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's it just is kind of like a, to wrap my mind around why that is, is a little bit tricky. Because I gyms mean, are closed. Gyms are closed. A lot of them. Eh, Europe's open-ish. closed. Europe's closed for sure. They're cl- it's all closed. That's why. That's why everyone's out. You think? I think so. Is it as simple as that? I think it's as simple as that. People are out because it's closed. The question is, what do we do about it? There's nothing to do about it. I um, mean, we tried. We started a fire in Glenwood Canyon. <laughs> Don't tell people about that. <laughs> I mean, that seemed like a foolproof plan. Close Glenwood Canyon. No one can go to rifle. Didn't work. Somehow didn't work. they kept coming. There, there is a that that is a very good idea though. <laughs> To like get into the natural disaster uh, business when when you want to reduce I mean, we the tried, lines. We, like last year, we fucking fucked up the road. Or was that two years ago? Uh, two years ago. Two the years road ago, collapsed. we fucked up the road. Yeah, that didn't work. The road collapsed. Collapsed, quote, quote unquote. Now you know there's a fire. Who knows how it started <laughs> in Glenwood Canyon? Definitely, that didn't work. Definitely not. Um, campfires making paella right <laughs> guys on on old-fashioned kerosene stoves making paella <laughs> well i don't know i mean it's been obscene where we are but has it been obscene everywhere it sounds like it has like yeah. is it according to this report like are the um, gunks just well, like well, remember clubs? when the clothes down happened like the initial like everybody stay the fuck home in march and, yeah and uh, uh bishop was like overwhelmed instantly. Right. So I think it's been ongoing. Right. You know? I think it's I think it's a few things. You're right, travel's restricted. So people can't go other places to climb outside the country. B, the working from home thing, I think a lot of people realized what van lifers have been talking about for a long time, which is that working from home means you can work from anywhere. Right. Because no one knows where you are. And so I think a lot of it is that, like people are out climbing one day, working one day, climbing right. one day, working one day uh, in their vans or whatever else. So I think that's a, a huge part of it. Yeah. But your, you know, your joke about everything's fucking closed is true. Like a lot of shit that kept people home on the weekends, you know, social life, you know, sports, things like that are you know, they're just kind of not happening. Mm-hmm. And so being out on the road in a van or whatever, camping seems like a very healthy and sort of safe alternative to some of that shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, um, I know there's some people here who, who, um, are friends who, you know, they, they're working from anywhere right. and they're just on the road for the next year, you know, while they're, they can't go back into the office They're from Portland, Oregon. Right. And, um, you know, they're, you know, they're here in Rifle this month. They're going down to St. George. They're they're just, you know, airbnb it along the way and um, with, you know, a couple kids in tow and, and just making it happen. And so, yeah, I think that's an interesting dynamic that's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, they we've kind of, 
you know, again, we've sort of pulled the veil off of what it means to work in an office and whether or not that was ever efficient. Well, the question is, are we going to go back? And I'm that's the I'm, problem, dude, is we're not. I don't think we are. I don't think we are. Yeah, I think this is I think this is more permanent than people realize. Totally. And, and the crowd's part of the deal. I mean, it's connected to the fact that are, there are so many more climbers mm-hmm. and there was like a slow trickle of this realization of the climbing life of like, well, I live in this place and I'm tied to this job and I can't go anywhere. And like, I get my, like, that was a slow trickle where every once in a while someone would wake up and be like, fuck this shit. Mm -hmm. I don't need to live in fucking Brooklyn. Right. You know, now it was just like, we just like, you know, opened the barrel of monkeys and everybody jumped out all at once. Mm -hmm. And we're just like, fuck this shit. I can work from anywhere. Ha ha. You know, and that's, I think just like blowing the lid off our crags. The point of the the stuff I was reading though is the fact that it's also overwhelmed the the capacity for these places to handle this many people. Right. You know, and it's oh, like environmentally. Environmentally speaking. And yeah. also just infrastructure, I mean toilets and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you've got your like yearly maybe increase that you were anticipating that again the lid just get got blown off of it yeah so, you don't want to see a 300 percent increase on the porta no, potty you can you can say okay well you know outdoors are growing and there's more people moving this let's say colorado and so next year we'll see a 10 percent increase and so we have to compensate for that i mean no one no planner park right. manager anything compensates for a 300 percent increase right so everything's overwhelmed you know and what do you think the hardest hit area is in the in the well dude, in the climbing world i'll tell you what it's going to fucking be okay is fucking indian creek yeah it is about to get completely fucking mobbed the reason being is it 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 you know less and less in the last few years as some regulation around camping has come in mm-hmm. but it has always been seen as the last refuge of the place you can go and be and no, no strings attached, no strings attached and nobody bothers you. There's no campground host and there still isn't, yeah. even though you're supposed to pay. And so I think that place is just going to be this magnet for everybody. Who's just off lost on the road right now right. because of this pandemic. And I think it's going to be crazy and i think that the land managers are going to notice and there's going to be some big changes that come out of like the next couple seasons down there yeah i think you're right yeah because it's just i mean yosemite closed i mean it's open now but like these these fires are not done well california kind of self-regulated with their fire scene Yeah. yeah yeah so i i mean i don't know what's happening now but my my sort of prediction is that that place is going to just be absolutely fucking bonkers okay so in if you're planning on going to indian creek from october to what december yeah then plan to wait in line yeah yeah it's gonna be crazy time down there mm-hmm. you know end of our end of after thanksgiving is the end of the season right and it's just gonna be nuts like in a in a way that nobody's ever seen, Shit. you know. I that's that's what I think because again, it's just like it's the one place that's still just like you can go there and post up and be done, you know. Park your van, park your camper, and be done right for months, you know. 
Yeah, shit. So, Sounds so scary. Land managers, like, get those fucking pump trucks ready because <laughs> the shitters are going to be filling up on a daily basis. I mean, that's a lot of shit. It's a ton of shit, which has always been, you know, we've talked about this before. It's always been the issue in the creek. Is where does the poop go? Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm like, you know, we're about to go down there actually in a couple of days. You yeah. And, I. and so... It's. I think we'll it's, see. I think it's creeping up. It's not quite there because the weather's been such that a lot of these other places have are like lasting into the fall. But, um, yeah, it's It's gonna be wild in November. Fucking wild because November is the month where it's like the last place to go. And you were just remarking about how everyone seemingly has a clinic that they do in Indian Creek. Yeah, too. there's lots of crack climbing clinics, which we're gonna be doing as well. <laughs> Everybody's got a clinic. So uh, that's like, you know, additional traffic right there. So what do we, I mean, you said like, what do we do about it? There's nothing to stop it. But like, I think that, I think that the, like, we just have to really double down on etiquette at this point and re and, and, and realizing, I think there's like an empathy problem that goes with crowded climbing areas because what I've noticed in, in, rifle just in the last couple of weeks that basically if, if you've posted up in the campground for like a week, you suddenly are a local. Right. And you're, and you're like completely legitimized to complain about everybody else being there. Yeah. And it's like insane. Like how many but people, that's not like a co that's not a COVID related thing. No, that's, no, that's, that's, that happens all the time. Yeah. But, but it's got more pressure on it. Right. You know, the crowds it's are getting bigger. worse. Yeah. So it's, so they have uh, more, they feel more put upon that, right. you know, because you were camped there since Wednesday, when someone shows up on Friday night to climb for the weekend, you're pissed. Right. Because you actually were there during the week. Not somebody, like 50 somebodies. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, it's just funny how I, I was camped there last weekend and I'm just like, everybody's just like moaning and bitching about the weekends and how, oh, I just take my rest days on the weekend because it's so crowded. And you're just like, where the fuck are you? are from Boulder. Like, just because your van's parked over there doesn't make you fucking local. Like, what is the deal? I mean, I swear to God, I probably talked to like 20 people that made that same bitch about not climbing on the weekends because it's so crowded on the weekends. And so they just sit and fuck in the campground. Yeah. Bitching. Who's, who's not climbing on the weekends. Right. Cause it seems like everyone's climbing. On the I weekends. know it's, that's, that's, I was like, it, yeah, it's funny. Well, then I realized that like, if, if in a perfect storm in an absolutely perfect storm, there would be no locals because the locals would have left to go to some other climbing area. Mm. And so there would be this weird thing where it happened that no locals were around a bitch because they were somewhere else. Oh. So like the rifle locals were all in tent sleep. Or the, the rifle tent... locals were all in um at movement climbing gym. Right, at movement climbing gym <laughs> and the entire <laughs> the entire clientele of movement gym. climbing gym were at rifle or right. at tent sleep and the tent sleep locals had gone to, you know, wherever. So yeah. there would be no locals to bitch. Huh. But that's not going to, you know, there's always I feel like one. we could coordinate this with some advanced Everybody, app yeah, or right, technology exactly. of some Just kind. leave. Leave yeah. your home area and then you won't realize that it's crowded. Everyone should just be on the road, basically, in COVID times. Totally. And you should be... Just leave your home. And if you're a local, you should be where you're not local. Just take a razor. On the weekends. And, yeah, yeah. But if it is the week... It, it, wait, if it's the weekdays, you can be local. But if it's not the weekdays... Don't go on the weekends. 
go somewhere else. Go somewhere else and, and annoy the locals there. Right. Right. And pretend you're local also. Pretend you're local because you got there on Thursday night, <laughs> not on Friday night. This is getting confusing. Yeah, I know. But basically, like, the point being is that quit bitching because it's just, it is what it is. And Yeah, it's just a c- crowded clusterfuck. It's just a crowded <laughs> clusterfuck. And everyone wants to climb. But it's okay because we're all climbers. We all, we all like each other. Yes. Yeah. Chris Widener is a climber and writer from Boulder, Colorado. He and Bruce Miller recently sent a new free climb on the Diamond of Long's Peak called the Gambler's Fallacy, a 513B. The Diamond is the uh, northeast face of Long's Peak, and it starts from a ledge called Broadway, which you access by like a 600-foot chimney kind of scramble thing. And from Broadway, it's um, close to vertical for about 900 feet up to the top of the diamond, which tops out at around 14,200 feet, um, about 15 minutes or so from the actual summit of Long's Peak. So all of the hard climbing is on that vertical section. And it's it's pretty high elevation. It's I think it's like the highest elevation wall in North America where there's a lot of good rock climbing on it. So shady most of the day, high altitude. There's a lot of factors that go into it. There's often afternoon thunderstorms that roll in around noon to two o'clock. And yeah, there's just a lot more factors to deal with up there than your average multi-pitch routes. It's not a crag. It's definitely not a crag. Although it can look like a crag, it's been pretty crowded actually, which in a way is cool to see. It's great to see a lot of people enjoying it up there. But on the other hand, it's kind of shocking. Like when the storms do come in, there's a lot of unprepared people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the important thing is that it, it, you know, literally there's millions of people that can look up any given afternoon and see it. And uh, so you take all the climbers out of there that are kind of, uh, you know, I think it's a big part of it, an aspiring trad climbers world on the front range to go and climb on the diamond. And, uh, and uh, since it's right there sort of looming and, and it's funny because you, you, you kind of like, when he said it's not a crag, you sort of waffled because if you get the right weather and, and you're fit, yeah. you know, it it's feels like cragging if you're fit for that kind of altitude, if you if it all goes the way it's supposed to go. It's the fact that it's like can roll into something uh pretty serious pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing I, I remember about I guided in Estes and so spent a lot of times not necessarily on the diamond, because uh, only private trips. I never guided that, but climb Long's Peak, you know dozens and dozens of times and the fact that when you're on the wall those storms build generally behind it yeah and that that's always like the the wild thing up there is when the it can be a gorgeous day and then wispy clouds start to roll over the top and you know your heart rate goes up because it could just (laughs) be a cloud and then the cloud goes by and everything's cool or it could be the beginning of some built up black monster that's like lurking behind the damn thing so yeah totally and it gets lightning and shit popping up there in a heartbeat you were up there, you said, probably working on it around 50 days over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a lot of time exposed to that sort of thing. Uh, did you guys get get some some epic sort of lightning and, and uh, storms involved when you were up there? We did. <laughs> yeah, in fact, actually last year, there was this one day where we were pretty high on the wall. 
Um, we were both mini tractioning on different pitches. I was two pitches from the top. I think Bruce was four. And um, it was one of those things where the forecast, it was only for 10% chance of storms, which most days you can write it off as zero. But for some reason, that just wasn't the case this day. And it built really quickly and came in very quickly with a lot of lightning nearby. And there was, you know, suddenly lightning strikes and snow and hail and then a rain and then more snow. And we were like, damn it, do we go up? Do we go down? Like we couldn't figure out what to do because we didn't have enough rope to actually descend the whole base. So if we went down, we would have had to just like hang there on the ropes, like in the middle, you know, 300 feet off Broadway or something. But we were so close to the top that we decided going up was the right way to go. So we just jumard frantically. And yeah, it was absolutely terrifying because it really felt like any second uh, a strike could be near enough to to hit us or, you know, at least jolt us or something. And it turned out actually that day, a boulder, you know, thousands of feet below us hiking in the valley um, got struck by lightning in that exact storm. Whoa. and and had like major injuries was hospitalized for a while. Wow. So it's, it's really kind of luck of the draw and that's what made yeah, it so well, scary. Yeah, for you know? sure. So bouldering is much well, riskier well, than <laughs> yeah. high altitude, big wall climbing. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. I love that. It was specifically <laughs> a boulderer hiking, but you know, it's like awesome. Uh, those pads, I don't know if they draw lightning, but uh, there's just but so yeah, many wild of them and, that, that yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. the, the probabilities <laughs> are getting static. much lower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, it's wild to decide to like, you've got black clouds and lightning and you're going to climb up into them, you know, cause that's, that's the way out of there. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so back to this, this, this climb, um, what did you call it? It's a gambling gamblers, gamblers, gamblers fallacy, yeah. gamblers fallacy. Right. So again, working on it for a few years, what, what was the sort of inspiration where, uh, when you kind of noticed this line or, um, you know, took, took claim to it as, as you will, when you have to do a project that takes that long. Well, so Bruce had climbed the Enos Mills wall, which is an old aid route. Um, and Bruce Miller, that's Bruce the, Miller. that's the guy you did it with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, he had climbed it back in the late nineties and he thought maybe this could be a free climb someday. So once we started climbing together uh, a couple of years in, in 2005, he and I went up and started free climbing up the Enos Mills wall. Um, and we freed to the top of pitch five, which had already been done before by Jeff Aki and Leonard Coyne in the eighties. So we didn't do anything new. We were just seeing what we could do. Free climbed up to that point. And then there was this A3 pitch. And we had a bunch of aid gear. We had hauled all this stuff up. And I don't really know how to aid climb anyway. Um, you would have been right at home, Chris. But um, but we kind of got up there later in the day. We looked up and, and kind of swung around a little bit trying to see if there's any way to get up past this kind of rotten rock because neither of us really wanted to like pound pins in this choss. And, uh, and we decided to bail because it just looked too crappy for, uh, for free climbing. And so it was in the back of our mind still because there were other possibilities left and right, but, um, but there were no seams or cracks to even age. So kind of tucked it away. And then we came back in 2010 and put up a route called Hearts and Arrows, which is just left of the Enos Mills wall and shares some of the first pitches. And when we were working on that, we could look down on where we had bailed from. And we saw 
those possibilities. So we decided finally after seven years off of, of not going up to the diamond at all, neither of us went, um, we decided this was the time. Let's check it out one more time. So we wrapped in in 2017, swung around, found a couple of possibilities that we could try to free climb off of that aid line. And, and it wasn't the A3 kind of choss. It was, it was better rock to the left. So that was kind of how it started. Awesome. Um, how many bolts did you place? We placed nine protection bolts and I think nine belay bolts. And so were you able to consult with Enos Mills about whether or not to put uh, bolts into his route? No, not, do know, not do you know Enos? Not not Enos Mills himself, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh good question. That's an Estes Park joke. Okay. <laughs> no, one, okay. no one gets that one. <laughs> Enos Mills has long since uh passed away yeah, yeah. by like a century or so, but anyway. Um yeah, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nine and nine. So what was the hardest part of this route? Of like putting it up or of climbing it? Yeah, of actually climbing it was the, I mean, I know there's cruxes, but was it the altitude? Was it the the altitude combined with the difficulty of the movement or the, was it scary? I don't know anything really about it. So what, what was, yeah. what made this hard? You know, for me and Bruce, what was hard is it's pretty cold up there. And, um, and the crux pitches have some pretty small holds. And so when you're crimping really hard, as you know, and it's cold out, it's uh, it's really easy to numb out. And so even when temps were kind of good enough to to climb a lot of routes up there, it felt a little cold for this route. That was just one challenge. Um, I mean, another challenge was just having the energy to go up, having everything line up when, you know, with the weather, with both of our schedules, with, you know, warm enough temps and be able to get into the right place at the right time to work the right sections. And all of that became easier as we got it more dialed because we didn't have to go to a bunch of different spots on the route. But, um, but ultimately that logistics of just being there made it really hard. And then on the send day, you know, it was, just kind of nailing all of these factors and, and getting it right. I mean, it was warm enough. We were rested, um, all those kinds of things. So. And so again, a logistics thing, how long does it take you, you know, as you're getting in shape or do this thing to get to the top? It sounds like you were doing the top parts, working on them a lot top down. Uh, so, I mean, what, what's the hike? Well, so we would usually, take about four to four and a half hours to get to the top of the wall. And then we'd wrap in to wherever we need to be. Usually have three, four five hours before storms might come in and then just kind of play it by ear with the weather. Sometimes we'd go up there and we'd have like an hour and a half and then a storm would come in early and we're like, damn it. Like that was a huge day. And we climbed like for an hour, you know, but, right. but most of the time we were able to get a few hours in. Um, and sometimes right. on really nice days, we'd get two sessions in, like we'd go down for a few hours, always working on different pitches, just mini tractioning, come up, eat lunch, and then go back in and get another few hours in. And it sounds like the tactics were very modern and probably, uh, <laughs> you know, the fact that you were there in 2010 or you would put up that other route back then and then seven years went by. And now we're talking about things, I think that like in the early aughts, you know, this idea of being up there and separately mini tractioning in different places and all that sort of thing, uh, sounds very, very modern. It did your tactics 
changed from the last time you were up there quite a bit? Not really. I mean, in 2010, we kind of did the same thing, yep. but it was a lot easier. Um, the route was a lot easier. And so everything went mm-hmm. a lot faster. You know, we did want to give it a ground up go, which we did in 2005, but it was a pretty, um, you know, short lived, like we got to that base of the A3 pitch, like I was telling you about, and it was clear, like, we're not getting up this thing free climbing at all. You know, it, it just wasn't going to happen for us to go from mm-hmm, the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we did the top down stuff, which, which is great. It's, it's funny. It, it is the modern way. It, in a way it's like a, a much worse style to do things in than, than the way most of the roots on the diamond were put up. But we really wanted to put up a, a good quality route and it's, it's a safe route. Like we made it pretty darn safe. So there's no, real sketchy sections as long as you know how to place gear and yeah we wanted to clean it well which we did and that was a whole other major challenge because the route is right above the north chimney and there's either people coming up the north chimney or bailing down it all day long on a nice day and so just this simple act of cleaning a pitch that would normally take an hour or two it could take us days just to be able to do it safely without killing people below us so that was another reason it took so long, but um, yeah, there's a there's a wall you hit certainly with the ground up thing, and, yeah. and basically it comes down to like you know that lends itself to these continuous crack systems, which the diamond part part of its allure is that it's an alpine piece of rock that has incredible cracks in it, yeah, on yeah. really good rock until you get off of the really good rock, and you know the evolution of a wall like that always ends up being, you know, there's there's kind of all the plums are picked and those can go ground up easily because the rock's good. There's not much cleaning. They're continuous. And then, then there becomes this kind of murky place. Like, uh, what was the old hard route up there that was stood for? Oh, the Joker. Yeah. Right. That, that was kind of like the hardest thing up there. Um, and even that, like, because it was, there was so much rehearsing, you know, back in those days, got a little bit of a hard time about how it was done because it was, uh, I think what was Briggs, you know, is breaking some sort of old rules about how to put roots up up there. But, yeah. but then once you get off into no man's land, like you guys were on, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to just trying to climb from the ground up yeah. and, and end up with a good route, you know? Yeah. And, um, your roots, what you guys called it in at 13 B. Yeah. 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 And, and it sounds like, well, you know, no one's ever going to like be up there climbing 13 B, but that's just not the case anymore. I mean, there's people now, young climbers, older climbers, whatever that can march up and climb that hard, which to me, again, I climbed in the era again, when the Joker was like, you know, the top of the ceiling and that's what, like 12 C or D or something yeah, like yeah, that. Um, that felt like what 12 D at 14,000 feet, like impossible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and now that, you know, that's not like that big of a deal. So, well, yeah, um, I mean, there's 14 yeah. B up there now with the, right. The right, right. Hex, so, you described it kind of having a crag-like feel. What What do you mean by that? What was the busiest day looking like? Gosh, you know, we've had a couple of days up there, weekdays actually, where where there were 25, even 30 people on the diamond coming up the north chimney, maybe a couple bailing off, but like a lot of people. and uh, And it was pretty surprising. And I think that was last year we saw that many people for the first time and um yeah just kind of a testament to how popular climbing's getting and how people are branching out from the gyms and <laughs> you know and coming up and doing this stuff which which is great i mean it's awesome to see people up there it's 
it's going to be a challenge, I think, to keep everyone safe. <laughs> it's kind of the the diamond is tricky because it has this deceptive quality to it, which one, it's a very famous face. And it also has, you know, a 510A or whatever it is. Yeah. Classic route that goes up it. And so I think that that draws a lot of people in who want to do the diamond and it seems accessible. And what's the big deal? I can climb five, nine trad all day. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I would imagine a lot of those people get themselves into trouble. Yeah. And I think a lot of times too, it's not even, you know, the fault of the climbers themselves in terms of knowledge or anything. It's, it's more just like chances are something's going to go wrong with that many people day after day after day. I mean, whether it's rockfall, slipping, lightning, you know, there's just all, yeah, it's, it, it is the Alpine arena up there. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we keep mentioning the North chimney, which you originally called a scramble to get up to the base of the diamond. It, but it's like this, I mean, that's where the shit hits the fan a lot mm -hmm. of times because it's this huge funnel, not just for people because they all have to go up it or go down it. Um, but it's, you know, it's a totally loose, horrible gully. And yeah. the fact that even back when I was up there, which, you know, if you had a, if you had a eight person day up there, it was, was outrageous. It felt like having that many people sort of racing up the North chimney, like felt out of control. I mean, yeah. In my, my state of mind, like if I was up there and 30 people, other people would, were up there, I would have a really hard time relaxing. Did you, did, did that kind of like weigh on you or were you guys just on your own thing and you could just sort of ignore it? But I would totally be looking down at the ants coming out of the North Chimney just being like, holy shit, something, we're going to be involved in something today. You know? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, no, I can, I can totally see that. But we were just more concerned about if I drop my wire brush right now, I might kill somebody, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, cause we were seriously right above it. I mean, right. Right. So right. we just had to be super careful the whole time. That's what I was concerned about. Not people. Yeah, yeah. Going. But I should also take it back that, you know, when I call it a scramble, I'm glad you said that because the truth is I used to just solo it. Like, like I think a lot of people do now, but mm -hmm. I kind of don't, feel comfortable doing that anymore i actually much prefer to be roped up and just pitch it out and take a little longer yeah it's 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 this dangerous place i mean it's loose like you said and yeah i was the same way we had i always advocated like a short simul rope between you at yeah. least because that really wasn't much slower and then yeah because i i sold it a couple times too only in the back in the day and like you know one time where you just kind of blithely reach over to some you know gigantic rock and as soon as you pull on it, you feel it move. You're like, okay, yeah. this, this place is messed up, you know. Yeah. And but then also, you're you're you know, if there's anybody above you or below you, you're it's not whether you screw up. It like you just said, you know, if Bruce Miller drops his wire brush on me, it's like knock me game off over. easily enough. So yeah, game over. Because <laughs> yeah. he has a heavy oh. wire brush. <laughs> I know that guy. Yeah, he doesn't mess around right. when it comes yeah. to wire brushing. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your partner. You actually just uh, you just posted something. Um, I think, or not posted, didn't you have just have a little article in, uh, uh, what's the daily cameras that yeah, yeah. you write your column for? Yeah. Uh, talking about Bruce. Yeah. A little bit. And, Bruce. and I've known Bruce, uh, casually for forever. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he like, to me, like exemplifies this old kind of bolder attitude that used to be really common of just like the guy that you've never heard of that, mm -hmm. you know, 
quietly just is always there, always climbing. You're going in, he's coming out kind of guy that um, inspired me when I was coming up through climbing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I agree. Yeah. He's I one thing I mentioned in the article is, um, you know, he's often the stronger, less visible climber in a partnership. And, and he's partnered with a lot of world-class guys in terms of alpine climbing people like steve house and um doug chabot and rollo and he never climbs for an audience he never really has an audience and and that's the way he wants it you know it's it's cool how did you guys meet you know we met at the boulder rock club actually just a couple years after i moved to boulder and um i think somehow we found out we had similar interests and decided to go to vitavu one day and I was super nervous when I first climbed to them. I was like, Oh my God, I'm climbing Bruce Miller. You know, I was like, shit, I gotta, I got, I better look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so what did the style and partnership look like when it came down to actually sending the climb? When we went from the ground, like for real attempts, I went first, I went on August 9th and, um, I tried the route one time last year from the ground and failed miserably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, my first attempt this year, is the time that I sent it and Bruce just jugged for me. He was, he was belaying, he was jugging. Um, we figured that there was no way we would both be able to free it in the same day just because it would take us too long and the chances were so slim. And so we agreed to swap days and I felt ready to do it a little bit sooner than he was ready. And so Mm -hmm. I went first and then, and then I jumard for him. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that's also kind of modern in that idea too of not necessarily have swapping pitches, some you know, leading it all yourself. Um and so you guys lucked out and got two golden days. Uh when I did it, it was it was funny because there's this five twelve pitch, like a twelve B right above the crux pitch that's thirty meters long and, and is strenuous, it's slightly overhanging, but it was bone dry this year and it was awesome because it's um easier when it's dry, right? But the day that I sent it, it was uh, it was soaking wet in in a lot of the the full on crack parts. There were some face holds and stuff, but it definitely made it a little a little harder uh, in that regard. Right. And it was a little bit drier when Bruce did it. But um, for temps, I think I probably had slightly better temps. It was a little warmer, uh-huh. and basically, it can't be too warm for me up there. And when Bruce did it, it was August twenty second and twenty third. We he was able to free through the um, let's see, there's nine pitches. He freed the first seven and then he, he fell off on the last two pitches, which are 13A and 12D. And he decided that, um, that what he wanted to do was bivy. Um, again, we bivied the night before up at Chasm View. And so he, what we did is we went to the top, went down to Chasm View, bivied. And then the next morning went back up, wrapped in, and he sent the last two pitches on the second day. It wasn't ideal style for him, but he was he was happy with it. We did go back one more time, actually, um, September 3rd, I think. And he went for it again in a day and just didn't quite uh, make it happen on the crux. And uh, and then he, he tried that four times and was too tired after that. But whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, I mean, it's good for, you know... I think a lot of people don't understand like the realities of, you know, what it takes and what you can, you, you know, I think there, I don't know. There's just like a conversation about just 
being honest with what you've done in the mountains or on a route or a big wall like El Cap. Yeah, totally. um, where a lot of these shenanigans get swept under the rug. Exactly. And yeah, um, yeah. nobody actually brings them up. Um, so it's good for people to hear that because, you know, it's all climbing and it's it's fun. And what he did was, yeah, I don't know what you call it, but it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Well, Nick, the cool thing is, is that free climbing uh, routes like that, big routes, you know, there's all these increments and. You know, oftentimes the first ascensionists leave room for better style, you know, yeah. whether it's whether it's on site or flashing it or doing it in less time or, you know, there's all sorts of things in which can inspire someone else to go up and improve the, the style. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know? Yeah. Well, and the important thing, too, is that it doesn't diminish, you know, if you do it in better style, it's not like it diminishes the accomplishment of or what it feels like to have done it yourself, you know, in, in the case of you or Bruce. Yeah. Exactly. Um, which I think in climbing, there's so much of one upmanship that sometimes it does feel like there's like a, you know, well, I'm going to improve this style as some sort of like statement. And, you know, that's just in the reality of it is it just doesn't doesn't really work like that. You know, it's like the fact that Honnold free sold the free rider wasn't some f- diss to the Hubers you know, or <laughs> right, whatever. Right. It's just like, you know, so anyhow, but that that leaves room for improvements of style. Um, And you guys have put up this route that hopefully will attract some people uh, by its quality and, and by the adventure that you guys had. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, I think people will like it. So um, what's a yeah, so. other, other projects on the diamond or are you, it's your diamond career over? <laughs> well, hopefully somewhere in between um, definitely no other project on the diamond uh, that I care to even consider for probably at least a few years. <laughs> right. But um but I I do still want to do a few routes up there for sure. Um, but yeah, maybe not sink my teeth into anything like that for a little while. <laughs> you got to be fit though, man, at least hiking wise. You got to be in good, damn good hiking shape right now. I'm pretty good at walking right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't get enough of the runout, you say? Oh dear. Well, now there is a way to double your runout runtime. Become a rope gun by supporting us on Patreon, and you'll receive additional episodes and other content, such as Q&As, op-eds, and Ask Me Anythings. If you feel like your climbing media is getting too watered down and safe, you're not alone. We need more independent and original voices in climbing, because this is how we can keep the soul of our sport alive. That's our goal, and that's why we need your help please head over to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. When it comes to running it out and taking a little bit of risk, if that makes you uncomfortable, if that fills you with fear, just tell yourself the following. You're not here to clip bolts and fiddle around with gear. You're here to send. You are a rope gun. Again, patreon.com slash runoutpodcast. On today's final bit, we feature renowned photographer Corey Rich. Corey is known for his storytelling through the lens of his camera, but he's no less adept at spinning a tale the old-fashioned way, straight from the old bazoo. Fred Becky was really the original dirtbag. 
uh, Fred built a lifestyle around rock climbing, being in the mountains as often as he possibly could. And, and that meant uh, sleeping on couches, sleeping in the dirt, sleeping in his car, just making do. And, and I think he helped evolve the culture of climbing. It was that commitment. It was, it was, he was the North Star for what it takes to really commit yourself to the mountains. And I've, I've never met anyone as committed as, as Fred Becky was. One of the real, uh, kind of the true honors as a climber was to be in Fred Becky's database. And when I say database, get out of your mind. We're not talking about a cloud-based database. It was a list of phone numbers written on the back of cut-up cereal boxes and FedEx envelopes. And these strips of cardboard um, had at the top of them the mountain town name. And so I was, of course, in the Tahoe region. I think it was called Lake Tahoe at the top of that slip of cardboard. And as he met other qualified dirtbags and climbers, he would put your name, oftentimes just your first name and a phone number. And as Fred Becky drove his car across the country a day or two out, he would pull out the cardboard strip for the town that he was headed toward, Lake Tahoe in this case, and he would start calling down the list. It was never clear to me whether he prioritized who was on the list or if he actually just went in, in order top to bottom until someone picked up and uh, was willing to actually climb with him. Typically, the phone call started with, it's Becky, Corey, it's Becky, and I'm um, coming to town. And so on one occasion, uh, one of the most memorable visits from Fred, he came to South Lake Tahoe, parked on my lawn, it never quite understood why Fred insisted in parking in the middle of my yard as opposed to on the street, and announced that he wanted to climb Sands of Time. That was one of his projects at Calaveras Dome. And it was a special summer in Tahoe. Uh, myself, Todd Offenbacher, and Kevin Swift, along with Rob Raker, we all agreed to take Fred up Sands of Time. And Calaveras Dome is one of those magical climbing areas in California where it feels like uh, you're first ascending every time you go out. It just doesn't get a lot of traffic. It's kind of out there. It's dirty, scary, um, but a stunning setting. And so we took Fred out to Salt Springs Reservoir or Calaveras Dome. Everything's slow with Fred. He was already at that stage in life where it was less about getting to the summit. It was very much about the journey and having a good time with his tribe members. And we started walking slowly up to the base of Sands of Time. Um, Rob Raker was filming. I was shooting still photos. And Kevin and Todd were going to be his climbing partners for the day. Fred was already hard of hearing, and as we approached the crag slowly, we had to gain a few hundred vertical feet over a mile or two. At one point, Bugsy, Todd's dog, was up in front, and we saw some hornets swarming, and they stung Bugsy, and Bugsy kind of barked and yelped and kind of ran back to Todd. And uh, we shouted to Fred because Fred was up in front. That way we weren't going too fast. And we shouted to Fred, hey, Fred, Fred, there's bees up ahead. There's bees. You should slow down. Like, let's go another route. But Fred, hard of hearing, said, what? what are you talking about? And Fred just walked right through the bees. And we noticed he slapped his shoulder and his arms a few times. And we realized he had gotten stung by the bees. But he was such a hard man, such a dirtbag, that I think he barely noticed getting stung by bees. 
So then Todd and Rob and Kevin, they all decided we're not walking through the bees. So they all cut to the right. And uh, I decided if Fred Becky in his late seventies or early eighties at the time, if he can walk through the bees, I can walk through the bees. So I, I trudged, trudged up the hill directly behind Fred and, uh, Boy, much to my surprise, I thought I was in the clear until I felt a bee land on my on my junk inside my shorts. I was I was uh, free balling that day, not wearing underpants. That's a very technical term, and a bee stung my scrotum, and it was the most painful experience. Uh, I had to rip my shorts off after sprinting up the hill to try to get the bee out of my pants. And of course, Fred was oblivious to what was happening, and Todd and Kevin and Raker um, were were thoroughly entertained by the escapade. Fred, we love you, miss you, and uh, here's to leading a life that counts. You've just completed another episode of The Runout, a podcast from the sharp end of climbing. I'm Andrew Bisharat, and I run Evening Sends, the only climbing website on the internet. And I'm Chris Kalouse, host of the Enormacast, the only other climbing podcast. Please leave a review of our show on iTunes, share an episode with your friends, and follow us on social media. We should be fairly easy to find. Drop us a line, let us know what you think. My email is andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And my email is chris at runoutpodcast.com. And also, please support our show. Go to patreon.com slash runoutpodcast and become a rope gun today. Mm-hmm.